Well, good morning. Yeah, as we uh, approach Christmas, I'm drawn to think about God had prepared the world for Christ's coming. There were literally hundreds of hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament, including a rather specific timeline of when the Messiah would appear. God sent the angel Gabriel to Mary to tell her of God's plan for the child conceived of the Holy Spirit within her, while another angel went to Joseph to tell him of the same plan. God was preparing the way for the world to receive His one and only Son, the Word made flesh, who would come as a little babe from the lowly town of Bethlehem. Even though God had told of Jesus' coming through His prophets and prepared them for the Messiah through their trials and triumphs, many missed what God was saying and what He was doing. As we approach Christmas, I want us to think about how God had prepared the world for Jesus' arrival and how He is preparing us for His presence now. I believe that His preparations take the form of three very important ingredients. We get this from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. Over the course of the next three messages, we will explore each of these ingredients from a different perspective. Today, we will see faith through the actions of a very special group of people, the shepherds. Let's pray. Father God, faith, hope, and love, these three abide. Father, I thank you that you call us to a place of trusting in you and having faith that how you have revealed yourself is who you are, is true. And Father, if that's true, then everything changes. Everything about how we understand and see ourselves and how we understand and see the world changes. And so, Father, let us have faith this morning to hear from you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would have your way here as we open up the book of Luke, Father, as we open up your word, I ask that your truth, your power, your victory, your freedom would come through loud and clear, Lord, because your words are words of life. And so, Father, I ask that we would have eyes to see. I ask that we would have ears to hear. And I ask, Father, that you would do what only you are capable of doing. Take control now. Let the words that come forth out of my mouth not be my own. Father, I need first and foremost to hear from you. And we all need to hear from you this morning. And so, Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Sheep are really cute, right? We often think of them as soft and cuddly. And kids, when they see a sheep, just want to go up and grab them and hug them. We have murals of them on our children's walls and stuffed lambs on their beds. Their wool is what keeps our feet warm in socks and our body warm in sweaters. Years ago, Tracy and I had friends who owned a sheep farm outside of Wyndham. The first time that we visited, I was really excited to go and see these cute sheep and pet them and maybe feed them, maybe even shear one. That would be really cool. 
What I learned that day was pretty shocking to me. Sheep stink. They are dirty. They are really smelly. Their coat is matted and everything, and I mean everything, sticks to it. Sticks, hay, grass, mud. At least I hope it was mud. And they are what you could only generously refer to as less than smart. They have absolutely no defense mechanism whatsoever other than to run around in a group and hope that a predator takes out somebody else. They will wander off and have no sense of self-preservation at all, often falling down hills or wandering into streams or lakes and drowning. Not a particularly noble animal. But then we have the shepherd. Certainly, if we are misinformed about the sheep, the picture of the shepherd from those Ralph Lauren polo ads must be true, right? All dressed up in nice plaids, a wool-lined coat with a beautiful merino scarf, rolling hills of green grass along a windswept coastline. These shepherds love and they lead their flocks, protecting them from predators and caring for them so gently and tenderly that when we read in Scripture about the birth of Jesus being announced to the shepherds in Luke 2, we aren't surprised at all. Here's our verse for today, Luke 2, 8 through 18. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angels said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them unto heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. We can be forgiven for thinking that it's perfectly fitting that God proclaims his one and only Son, the Word made flesh to dwell amongst man for the forgiveness of sin, the promised one from the line of David, the perfect Passover lamb, that that announcement would be made to the shepherds. But here's the thing, it's not true. Biblical shepherds did not step off the pages of GQ magazine. Shepherding was a dirty, dusty, nasty job. In fact, shepherds were the pariahs of society. They were outcasts who were seen as ceremonially unclean as they couldn't keep the Sabbath requirements because they worked seven days a week. They were seen as untrustworthy, so much so that they were not allowed to testify in proceedings before the Sanhedrin the ruling party of the theocracy in Israel, because they were considered to be too dumb and too unreliable and too shifty 
to be trusted. This was a reputation that may have been well-earned as they would often graze their sheep on land that was not theirs. Being a shepherd at this time was the lowest form of work that one could do. You weren't smart enough to learn a skill, and so you were relegated to the outskirts of town to be outside day and night in the heat and in the cold and in the rain and in the beating sun. You were exposed to all of the elements, getting dirty along with your animals, not being trusted by anyone or having value in anyone's eyes. So does it make sense that this unholy, unlikely, unloved, uninspired band of outcasts would be who God would send his angels to announce the birth of Jesus to? Maybe it doesn't make any sense to us, but God chose them. And I think one reason he did so was because they had faith. Hebrews 11 tells us, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There's a lot of Bible commentaries and great studies on Hebrews 11. We could literally spend weeks just parked here on this one verse. Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers in the mid-19th century, delivered a message on Hebrews 11 on, 11 on December 14, 1856. In his exposition, he said these incredible words, Now in order to faith... It is necessary that I should not only read the Scriptures and understand them, but I should receive them in my soul as being the very truth of the living God. And I should devoutly with my whole heart receive the whole of the Scripture as being inspired of the Most High. The faith that God calls us into, that he says just a few verses later in Hebrews 11.6, it would be impossible to please him without, is the faith that starts with believing what he has said. The rest of Hebrews 11, being the hall of fame of faith, goes on to commend these heroes of faith for their faith, their trust in what he had told them. What Spurgeon rightly reminds us of is that God has given us all that we need to be able to recognize, internalize, understand, and assent to the truth, which is an act of faith. For the shepherds, they had the Old Testament. And though they were lowly and dirty and unloved and untrusted, they had the faith to believe that God's promises were true. First of all, as we look at this, I want you to see that they had the faith to see. We'll return to verse 8 and 9. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shined around them, and they were filled with great fear. Here we are introduced to the shepherds. The preceding verses tell us of the story of Christ's amazing birth. And now here are the shepherds in the same region near Bethlehem, tending to their flock at night. The fields outside of the city would have been very lonely and a desolate place. Shepherds would have been very aware of their surroundings, is they were always looking out for thieves or predators who would steal away their sheep, which was their only livelihood. There was no light other than the moonlight and the fire that, would have, that they would have slept near to provide heat. And it would have been hard 
to surprise a shepherd who was on watch. And yet, surprised they sure were. Out of the dark, suddenly all around them was the glory of the Lord with an angel standing before them. And the Bible said they were afraid. Yeah, I think I would be too. I can't specifically conceive of what the glory of the Lord shining actually looks like. And I'm really well convinced that even the best of the CGI in Hollywood couldn't manage to show even a fraction of what it must be like. But if you show up in the middle of my yard, in the middle of the night, I'm going to be scared too. But the shepherds didn't run away in fear. They may have been startled, but in that moment, they had the strength, the peace, the faith to see what God was up to. In the same way, what is our faith allowing us to see what God is showing us about ourselves, about others, about our family, our coworkers, or friends? But our shepherds didn't just have the faith to see. They had the faith to hear. We see this in verses 10 through 14. And the angels said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This verse is the message. It's actually the story of Christmas. It's not a Red Ryder BB gun or a boy left home alone, those sappy Hallmark movies that Tracy loves, or Ghosts of Christmas Past, or even Jimmy Stewart running down the street singing in the snow. This is a story of God's love for his creation. To bring good news of great joy, Great joy in that the war with God, the inability to cleanse our own sins, to be made right with Him, is over for those who have the faith to see and hear the good news of Christ's coming. And if the glory of God and the angels weren't enough, here comes a whole multitude of heavenly coasts praising God. They join together to sing praises to God for the greatest birth announcement ever. I can imagine that they were given this task to announce the birth of Jesus, the word that they knew so well, coming to the creation that he spoke out. And the multitudes came to see and to announce this great gift, the greatest gift the world has ever known. What was that greatest gift? Obviously, it's Jesus but I want to take a deeper look at what the heavenly hosts were saying here. Glory to God in the highest. What does that mean? It means that God is the highest authority in all the universe. It can mean that God is deserving of praises above all else in all of creation. It can mean that God is above all others, that there is no other God before him. But here's what I think it is saying because the next half of that verse comes alive with this. It simply means that God 
is in heaven. The highest is heaven. All glory to God in his rightful place in the heavenly realm above all of his creation. In that special place where eternity reigns. So then what does the second half of what the heavenly hosts are proclaiming? Peace on earth. Peace here isn't just a good feeling. Peace isn't just the absence of discord in our lives. Peace doesn't mean that we're, there will be no more war and no more strife. The peace that the heavenly hosts were proclaiming that day was the peace of salvation. God was offering a way to end the war of our rebellion against God, to have peace with him through the birth of his son Jesus. Then we come to the end of the verse, goodwill towards men. This isn't, again, about good feelings. I know that in our society we want to think of this as mankind feeling good about one another in this great holiday season. But the heavenly hosts were not proclaiming that we should enjoy our office Christmas party or just get along with our neighbors because we have just managed to survive another year. God's good will is God's will. His perfect and good will in heaven to have man reconciled to him in a relationship free of the sin that separates us. His perfect will that desires that we walk with him again in the garden, having made the right choice to love him, to obey him, and to trust him and to have faith in him. God's good will was coming to earth to bring heavenly peace to man Hallelujah, that's what we sing about. And that is something to celebrate. We see these same heavenly hosts in Revelation 4 and 5 crying out, Holy, 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 you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power to the one seated on the throne. These heavenly hosts who day and night for all eternity surround the throne of God and cry out to him. They came to earth to join the angels unable to contain themselves in their praises, in their wonder, and in their delight. So the shepherds had the faith to see what God was up to and the faith to hear how he was fulfilling his promises. Now the shepherds had the faith to go. We see this in verse 15 and 16. When the angels went away from them in heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Let us go. The shepherds had the faith to go. I want us to all notice something here. The shepherds were not commanded by the angel to go to Bethlehem and to seek out baby Jesus. Their faith, which allowed them to see the angel of the Lord and to hear that message, is the same faith that propelled them to go to witness what God had done. There is much that amazes me about this story, but this part especially touches me. They went to see what the angels had spoken about. They had wonder about God's promise. Let's be clear, these are Jewish men. They certainly knew of the promised Messiah, yet the proclamation wasn't made to the king. It wasn't made to the religious leaders either, and why is that? 
I think the religious elite and the king were interested in one thing, their position, their power, and their place in society. They weren't looking for or even interested in the coming Messiah. These lowly shepherds, however, they were expectant. They had faith and wonder for what God was going to do, and their faith drove them to see, to hear, and to go. But it also drove them to do one more important thing, and that was it drove them to do. And we see that in the last passage here for today, in verse 17 and 18. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The Christmas song, Go Tell It on the Mountain, is a song originated in the mid-1800s, likely by slaves as a spiritual song, a way to sing of the truths of the Bible as they were, were not given access to read it. The song is a direct narrative of our verses today, and I'm particular, particularly taken by the refrain, and I'm not going to sing it, so don't worry. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. And this is exactly what the shepherds did. They came off the mountain, they went over the hills, and they trekked everywhere to tell everyone. Remember that this is an unholy, unlikely, unloved, uninspired, untrusted band of outcasts. They couldn't testify in a court proceeding, and yet here they are testifying to what God has done. They left their flock and abandoned their job to do something. They became witnesses of God's faithfulness to his creation because they were faithful to see it, to hear it, to go seek it. And then they were to be messengers of God's plan. Here's the part that really amazes me. People actually listened to them. We see that again, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Think about that. What was it that happened to these shepherds that they would now be seen as reliable witnesses? How did their faith encounter with God not only change them, but change how others saw them? I'm reminded of John 4, where Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well. After her incredible encounter with Jesus, we read this in verses 28 to 30. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Just like the shepherds, this woman was a pariah in her town. She too was lonely was a lonely one who wasn't part of her community, untrusted, unloved, and unworthy. And yet her encounter with Jesus changed her, and her witness to that encounter changed the whole community. The woman at the well carries the same message as the shepherds, the faith to see, hear, go, and do what God has said changes you. For me, this is the lesson of the shepherd. Be expectant. 
Have faith. Be in awe of what God is doing before our very eyes. The angels went to the lonely shepherds because the lowly shepherds were looking for the coming king, the Messiah. Jesus went to the failed fishermen, the lowly tax collector, the prostitutes, the outcasts, and the weak because they were the ones in need of a savior. How about you? How about me? Are we lowly? Are we expectant? Do we have the same faith as the shepherds? My challenge this morning is simple. Find the wonder of Christ in Christmas this year. Be in awe of what God has done, is doing before us, and what he promises he will do. Have a heart of expectation as the shepherds did. Look across the fields and to the sky and see what is coming. I dare you to. And you won't be able to help yourself but have the faith to tell the real story of Christmas. As the worship team comes up for our last song, I'd like to uh, close by rereading these verses out of Luke 2 one last time for us. But instead of me reading them this time, I'd like to have one of my old friends do that. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. As I went and sat down, Tracy reminded me that this is the only time in all of the Peanuts sketches that Linus drops his blanket. And he drops his blanket because the security that he found in that blanket, there was a greater security for him, and that was found in the Word of God. And uh, that's an incredible lesson for, for all of us. I want to close with a our verse from Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week.